0: Hello everybody and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job. Now, if you have a Bible handy, please open it up to the book of Job chapter 39. As you're turning there, a little bit of housekeeping. We here at the Very Lutheran Project never charge money for anything we do. All of the house church resources, the Bible studies... The extra guides, the theological works, and the liturgies, everything on the Very Lutheran website, verylutheran.biz, is free for your use as a house church. However, I do admit that we survive on your generosity. For anybody that is interested, please consider making a regular donation through the Gumroad link or the P.O. box that is provided on the support tab at verylutheran.biz. I admit this is, in part, very well motivated. My wife is pregnant. She's going to be due for baby number three very soon, and I intend on maintaining the same upload schedule, deacon training, everything that we're doing in the midst of helping out and taking care of a brand new baby. And for that and the extra medical costs, we do humbly request for those with generous hearts to help or to ask others if they are willing to assist as well. But that said, let's turn to the context of Job chapters 39 and 40, which we will be reading through tonight. God is speaking to Job. He finally decides to speak as Job has asked for an answer. He has asked for an audience with God, believing that something wrong has happened. He is being treated as an enemy. Maybe there was a mistake in the divine courts, so to speak, and Job wants to lay his case out before God. He wants an answer as to why he... A man whom God says was blameless in our Lord's sight should suffer the loss of all of his children, his entire livelihood, his reputation, and his health as his body is now racked with boils, nightmares, terrible things having happened to him by the hand of the devil. His servants either having died or fled and his own wife turning against him. Job asks, his friends attempt to answer on God's behalf. This goes round and around as the four of them have conversations, until a young man named Elihu puts it upon himself to be a final test, so to speak, a last thing that Job must endure, as Elihu throws a supposed wickedness and much slander in Job's face, And then God answers. And as we covered in the beginning of God's answer in Job chapter 38, God answers by discussing how all of creation and everything that Job needs for his life comes from God, who created the heavens and the earth. Alleluia! We then read from Genesis chapter 1, which makes no sense unless we understand that God was creating the entirety of the universe for someone, as an act of grace. He created everything for mankind, the pinnacle of creation. But... We see a hint in the latter verses of chapter 38 that our Lord is about to change gears. When he speaks of creation, he suddenly changes in verse 39 to say, Can you hunt the prey for the lion, or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens, or lie in wait in their thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help? and wander about for lack of food." Now truth be told, whoever did the chapter and verse divisions for the Bible, and I believe the 14th or 15th century, certainly in all likelihood should have put verse 39 of chapter 38 as verse 1 of chapter 39, when God begins to speak of the living creatures in creation. But as we read chapter 39, we're going to look at what exactly God is saying about these animals. Hear the word of our Lord from Job chapter 39 and 40. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill, and do you know the time when they give birth? When they crouch, bring forth their offspring, and are delivered of their young. Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go out and do not return to them. Who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey to whom I have given the arid plain for his home, and the salt land for his dwelling place. He scorns the tumult of the city, he hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains as his pasture, and he searches after every green thing. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes, Or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you depend on him because his strength is great? And will you leave to him your labor? Do you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but are they the pinions and plumage of love? For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that the wild beast may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young, as if they were not hers, though her labor be in vain, yet she has no fear, because God has made her forget wisdom, and given her no share in understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and his rider. Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust, His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exults in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear, and the javelin. With fierceness and rage he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, aha, he smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the rock he dwells and makes his home, on the rocky crag and stronghold. From there he spies out the prey. His eyes behold it from far away. His young ones suck up blood, and where the slain are, there is he. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger. And look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. And tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Behold Behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold his strength in his loins, and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together, his bones are tubes of bronze, His limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food for him, where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plants he lies, in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade the lotus trees cover him, the willows of the brooks surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. It is not hard to notice the shift in topic. God goes from speaking about creation itself and the natural world, the rains and the snow, the sun, the clouds, the waters, and then he begins speaking about animals. Why is this? From a deistic perspective, a deist may be so bold as to say you can see God's general goodwill through creation. After all, God creates the rain. He made a world where it rains and there is fertile soil that creatures may eat. God can start with this, but the deist permits him to go no further. The deist wants him to be an alien god, a foreigner god, that created the watch, created the machine, and does no more than that. Presumably, a deist would stop towards the end of chapter 38. They do not believe in a god who is intimately involved in his creation. Chapter 39 demonstrates this to not be the case, and with a very pointed reason God speaks of various creatures starting with the mountain goats from chapter 39 verse 1 do you know when the mountain goats give birth the assumed and implied answer here is no but God does do you observe the calving of the does the deer no but God does Can you number the months that they fulfill, and do you know the time when they give birth, when they crouch, bring forth their offspring, and are delivered of their young? No, but God does. This tells us something about our Lord. He watches a doe give birth. He cares for a creature that is not made in his image that was never made in his image. Mankind lost the image of God in the garden, but this may be restored through baptism for us New Testament believers. But here, an animal, a dumb animal, receives the care of our Lord such that he watches it give birth. He tracks their pregnancies. That is how much God cares about the deer and the goats. And then in verse 4, he says, Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go out and do not return to them. Not only does God track the pregnancies of deer and goats, he also watches after their children. He rejoices to say, These are strong creatures. God is intimately involved with the animals. And he continues, it's not just deer and goats. And it's not just observing the creation of an animal, how it is in its nature as God has given it. From verse 5, who has let the wild donkey go free? who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey to whom I have given the arid plain for his home and the salt land for his dwelling place. He scorns the tumult of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains as his pasture, as he searches after every green thing. God not only cares for the animals to make sure that their normal life cycle continues, as it is with the deer and the goats and their pregnancies, their children, safely giving birth to new creatures, he also knows them personally. By this I don't mean that an animal is the same as a human being. A dog is not at the level of a human, but even animals have personality to them. And he comments on that for the wild and stubborn donkey that really just wants to go out and search for food. Sometimes God will free this donkey away from the driver and say, go on, go into the field, yes. Might be bad for the human, but you deserve freedom, now go on. And he says it scorns the tumult of the city. Look at those donkeys, they hate all this noise. Look at their big ears. I didn't make their ears for the city, they can't stand it. (laughs) He hears not the shouts of the driver. Look at how stubborn they are. I know their personality. I know this creature. Question then, does God stop at knowing the animals? Verse 9, is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? Of course, during this time, they probably had not quite domesticated oxen yet, or at least not in Job's area. Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes, or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you depend on him because his strength is great? Will you leave him your labor? Do you have faith in him that he will return your grade and gather it to your threshing floor? Look at this gigantic, working beast. Look at all the potential I've given it for humanity's use, dear Job. And I know the oxen, too. And even for something silly, he brings up the ostrich. The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but are they the pinions and plumage of love? For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that the wild beast may trample them. I'm sure you have heard of the phrase, cruel as an ostrich. Ostriches appear to be so foolish or so ignorant, so dumb, that they accidentally trample their young sometimes in their gigantic ostrich eggs. God says, I know about this creature. I made this creature. God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding. Even I can do something for the sake of humor, Job. Look at this goofy, giant, flightless bird I created. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and its rider. Yet I, too, have given this thing something. I've seen the the affliction of the ostrich, its lack of wisdom that I gave it. Yet I have given it speed. I've given something because I still care even for a silly, goofy creature like an ostrich. Verse 19, do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Of course not. The answer is God did that. Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He describes the horse and its willingness to go into war. Certain medieval combat commentators, various men with uh, YouTube channels like Lindy Beige, have commented on how horseback warfare outside of long-distance archery is a silly notion because horses, at least today, are easily spooked. But God comments on these bloodthirsty horses that are raring to go, who chase after battles. And God says, I know that horse. When the trumpet sounds, he says, aha, he smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. This is a creature that you should be acquainted with enough, dear Job, to see that that is a creature provided for you and your kind. Is it by your understanding, verse 26, that the hawk soars and spreads his wing towards the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the rock he dwells and makes his home, on the rocky crag and stronghold. From there he spies out the prey, his eyes eyes behold it from far away. His young ones suck up blood, and where the slain are, there is he. Job, look at this creature that lives in arid and desolate places, with a hard life, yet this creature still survives. I provided for it. Its children still survive. I provide for them, dear Job. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. As we said last week, there are many commentators that look at these chapters and say God has exploded with wrath at Job. He has had it up to here with this puny little human and his tiny little problems. Look at how stupid Job is. Look at how pathetic he is wallowing in his own self-misery, his self-pity over his dead children. What a loser. God is tired of hearing this pathetic mortal complaining. Such commentators are not looking at what God is saying. He pointed to all of creation as an act of grace for humanity. And now he is going and speaking to the man who shook his fist at God and said, Where are you? Do you see what is happening? You're supposed to be the watcher of mankind. Are you seeing what's happening to me? Do you know what I'm going through? And here God says, Well, I created the entire universe for you and your kind. And in case you haven't noticed, dear Job, I care about the goats. I care about the deer. I care about the donkey. I care about the ox. I care about the ostrich. I care about the horses. I care about the hawk and its children. What is the implication there? But God asking, why wouldn't you think that I care about you? If I care about all of these creatures that are lesser beings than you, don't you think I see what's happening to you? And if I care about all of these animals, and I care about them and their suffering and in their problems, and I see their personalities, don't you think that I know you? Who of us wouldn't give their left leg to hear God say, in earshot, I know you? and i love you i care about you this is not god pointing his divine finger back at job and saying shut up pip squeak how could we have a loving and understanding god if that was the case To see a man lose his entire family and his livelihood, all of his servants, his reputation, almost losing his wife, losing his friends, and then getting this young guy to spit in his face as the final insult. To see God as yelling at Job in this moment is missing all of the compassion our Lord is showing to him in this moment. And in verse 2, when he says, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty, he's saying, do you really think I'm so bad as to forget you? I would never forget you, Job. I know it does not look that way, but it doesn't always look that way for the animals either. Have you seen the hawk's home? How it lives in these barren places. But you wouldn't find fault with me for the way I care for the animals. So answer me. What are your thoughts now? Various commentators hear Job's words after this, where he says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once. I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further further. Is Job speaking out of fear? He asked God, please suspend the fear of you. Don't kill me with fright and terror when you show up. And God responds by speaking of such grace and mercy and the kind of love that Job has been forgetting. Is Job saying, you're big and I'm small, so I'm going to shut up so I don't die? I doubt it. I think this is Job's gears turning in his head and he's starting to feel shame. He's starting to think to himself, why didn't I? Why didn't I think about this? If God loves me, then he has his reasons and I could have trusted him through all of this. But then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, he's not done with Job. He could have stopped here, but there's more because Job has spoken plenty throughout this book and God has more to say to address that so that his answer is entirely satisfying to dear poor Job. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? Job, your contention is that I hate you. That I'm treating you as an enemy. Do you think you're right in this? Well, let's talk about my strength. Some examples of what I do. And how I do it. Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Job, you brought up justice. You brought up how the wicked seem to get away with everything they want. They get their way everywhere. But do you know why I bind the proud? Why I humiliate them and I grind the wicked into the dust. Which, yes, I do, Job. I've promised it. Do you know why I do it? In order to save you. Verse 14 is one of the most important verses in this entire book. Then I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Job I am the only one you can look to here. I am your Savior, our Lord says to Job, and he says to us. If you abandon God, you have no Savior. If you look to something else to save you, you don't have a Savior at all. If you look to yourself to save you, because you are not God, you don't have a Savior. So in the midst of your suffering, dear Job, because you are not me, and because you recognize all these things about me, can you trust me? Can you rely on me to save you? Going to me in faith. This entire time, Job has complained about God, but he has not relied on God's love. If he had spent this entire book just praying to God for deliverance, praying and crying out to God and trusting that he would come in and save him, whether in this life or in the next, we wouldn't have the book of Job, frankly, because the whole thing would have been over very quickly. He would have known his lesson before he learned it. But on the topic of dangerous things potentially wicked things, threats, both chaotic and evil. Our Lord begins to speak of behemoth. In verse 15, and we know behemoth is a big deal because God says, behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. We do not know what behemoth is. It's some incredibly large animal. Some modern commentators want to point to it as some sort of hippopotamus or elephant, maybe even a giraffe. The problem is, God describes behemoth in ways that we do not see in animals today. His strength in his loins, his power in the muscles of his belly, he makes his tail stiff like a cedar, the sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like bars of iron. Elephants have teeny, tiny, pathetic little tails that they use to uh, sweep back and forth, get flies off of their, uh, their butts. Same thing with hippos, except hippos do much more disgusting things with their tails. They're tiny little tails. Little rope-like things, and God speaks of Behemoth's tail as being stiff and big like a cedar. Something more of a brontosaurus, maybe. So, some young Earth creationists have said, well, this is probably a description of a dinosaur. Some vegetarian dinosaur like a brontosaurus. And that is potentially an answer. But I disagree with it. In a speculative fashion. God says he made behemoth special, which I made as I made you. God in the Genesis chapter one, he just calls animals into existence, but we don't get the play by play of all of these creations. God created behemoth out of the dust of the ground as he did for Adam and breathed it to life. Now, he did not make behemoth in his image, the way he did for mankind, for Adam and Eve. But he made behemoth special as some sort of creature which reflects God's power. He is the first of the works of God. Other translations say the first of the ways of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. God says, I made this creature As an example of my power, the first of the works of God is strength. God calls the universe into being. There is no greater demonstration of power and strength and authority than that. Behemoth is meant to be a living representation of this. Remember, though, God is not saying anything here that Job does not already know. If God brought up behemoth and Job didn't know what this creature is, Job would have just responded, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about, dear Lord. There is a religious significance to Behemoth in a way that no other animal, with the exceptions of Rahab, the sea monster that God personally kills to destroy the cult of Rahab, earlier mentioned in the book of Job, and Leviathan later on, who gets the longest treatment that we will give next week behemoth for the ancient, ancient, ancient church. Faithful believers like Job and his friends, they did not have the Bible. The Bible was not written yet. Job, the book of Job, is the first book of the Bible to be written. So what did they rely on before then So what did they rely on then to be their word of God? Well, they had traditions of Rahab. God does not leave the ancient, very ancient saints without word and sacrament. They had their oral tradition concerning the creation of mankind by our Lord, but regarding a visual living representation of his power... He says, look at Rahab, Leviathan, and Behemoth. Now we might, as modern day believers, wonder what was this creature? Maybe it was a dinosaur. I'm not willing to necessarily go that far. Maybe, maybe it was a hippopotamus, and I think that's an understatement given the description of Behemoth. I will say, if you ask me, I believe that these creatures, Rahab, Behemoth, and Leviathan, Rahab having turned evil at some point, gotten a cult and been slayed by God, these creatures were something in the stead of holy scripture so that people everywhere could see this creature and go, there is a God that is even mightier than that. And whoever's stronger than Behemoth, I am going to worship. Note here that God says in verse 19, Let him who made him bring near his sword. Why would God say that? God can snap his fingers and kill Behemoth if he wishes. God is omnipotent. I believe, though, as it has been mentioned, Rahab, the sea monster, having been slayed before, Job and his friends bringing up Rahab, God says... Job, this is a potential threat. You remember what happened with Rahab. How people started worshipping this creature and I had to step in and kill it. I am prepared, dear Job, to do that for you. If the same should happen with the behemoth. I go near it with my sword. Ready to strike it down if necessary. Can you do that? (laughs) Can one... Take him by his eyes, he says, or pierce his nose with a snare. Job, you cannot do that. I can. This creature that is intended to demonstrate my power, my strength, my enormity to all humanity. I stand at the ready to protect you from this. Should it ever get a big head and do what Rahab did. I stand at the ready to protect you you from wickedness, both spiritual and physical, because I love you the same way I love all the animals, but more. I love you the way I love the donkey, the ostrich, the horse, the hawk, all of these creatures combined, and I see you, and I love you. So not only do I care for your needs in this life and in the next, I also fight for you, Job. And there are bigger threats than a corrupt king. There are bigger threats than thieves and murderers and random blasphemers and idolaters running around. There are things like mighty behemoth that I stand at the ready to destroy for you. Now next week, it is possible that we will finish reading the book of Job. If so, there will be another... Bible study session to tie everything together. But next week, at the very least, we will discuss the mighty and terrifying creature Leviathan, which defies all normal human description. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.